what we have brought to our attention in that chapter that we've just read is something that's been a problem from the beginning. The whole history of God having his own people. This has been a problem from the beginning. It continues to be a problem today. And it will continue to be a problem until Christ returns. Now Ezekiel, a priest appointed as prophet to Judah in Babylon. And here is something that God brings to his attention. He was probably already aware of it, but God is now giving him some very specific instruction about it. Something that's been a problem from the very beginning for the people of God. False teachers. To try and play this down or marginalize it would be a very grave error. There are warnings about this all through the Bible. Again and again and again, we find the problem there and we find God having to deal with it and we find God giving his people warnings against it. You remember how that was a big issue in our studies in 2 Corinthians. These false teachers, these so-called super apostles. False teachers have always been a problem. False teachers will be a problem. When the Apostle Peter wrote his second letter. But there were also false prophets among the people, chapter 2. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. That's the extremes to which some of these things could lead and bring on themselves swift destruction. And just a few here and there will fall for it. Is that what it says next? No. Many will follow their destructive ways. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. It's been a problem from the beginning. It's a problem still. There'll be a problem this time next year if the Lord spares us and until we get to glory. When we finally get to heaven, there'll be no more false teaching. And here in Ezekiel, we see that there are many who've set themselves up as teachers. The problem is, God hasn't. They've set themselves up. But God hasn't. They're saying... They're speaking in the name of God. But God is saying, nothing to do with me. Why does the NHS have vaccination programs against certain diseases? Because those diseases are seen as being a, as a grave threat to health. And people are very vulnerable to contracting those diseases. The Bible's warnings are, if you like, God's way of trying to inoculate us against false teachers. Because so many 
will fall under their charms and they will cause so much spiritual damage amongst God's people. And the judgment that God declares against them, as we'll see, declares to us just how serious a problem it is so that we dare not take down our God at any time on this issue. And what I want to do very, very simply this evening is have a look at some of the things that are said in this chapter and see those things which are the the nature of false prophets. Not to say that those who bring falsehood will have all of these things, but these are the typical traits of false teaching, even in churches today. Now, the first thing that we see is that the Bible tells us that what they're bringing to God's people is from their own heart and spirit. We see that in verses 2 and 3. They prophesy out of their own heart. Hear the word of the Lord, but it's, it's got nothing to do with God. God hasn't said this at all. It's just come from them in themselves. They are the source and the origin of these things. Verse 17, out of their own heart. Because these prophets, you'll see in the chapter, are both male and female. There are male prophets, there are female prophets. It seems that the female prophets go about things perhaps in a slightly different way to the men. But the problem is the same and the issue is the same, regardless of whether they're men or women. The claim of false prophets is what they are bringing you is from God. The reality is that everything that they have to say is just from themselves. They may have a Bible open. They may quote a few verses from it. But the message they're bringing is entirely their own. They devise their own schemes and systems of understanding. The origin of those things is simply their own mind and their own heart. It's all based upon their own reasoning and their own assumptions. The second thing, it comes from the emptiness of their own imagination. Verses 3 to 8. Foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Nothing. But they're coming to you claiming all of this wonderful stuff. They've seen nothing. They speak nonsense, verse 8. Nonsense. There's no truth in it whatsoever. And God's people fall for it. They did then, they do today, they will in the future. They speak as if they've had this great meeting with God and that they have been blessed to have been furnished with wonderful knowledge and insights that you all need. They speak as if God himself has appointed them as his personal spokesperson. They assume great authority for themselves and they claim to speak in God's name and they claim to speak on God's behalf. And God says, it's all absolute nonsense. Wow. 
Now you can understand why some might feel intimidated to the point where they dare not reject or question what people like this might be saying. Because these kinds of people sometimes can be very influential. But it's all a great deception and it's all a grand illusion. They're described as being like desert foxes. Crafty, cunning, like foxes waiting to pounce on their prey. They claim to be building up and fortifying God's people against the enemy. But actually they're just causing even more damage and doing more harm and making God's people even more vulnerable. They make declarations, supposedly in God's name, and they just hope for the best. The emptiness of their own imagination. Thirdly, we see false hope, false assurance and false expectations. Verse 10. Because indeed they have seduced my people, saying, peace. And there's no peace. One builds a wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Every Christmas, it seems, well, at least in recent years, there's been a story in the news about some company that advertises this great Christmas spectacular that they're putting on in this enchanted forest of a location. And families fork out a small fortune to take their children along one Saturday afternoon to have this great magical Christmas experience. And all they find is a muddy field A dog wearing a set of antlers masquerading as a reindeer and some shed with a Father Christmas in it wearing an outfit from Poundland. You've seen those stories every year? These great promises. Oh, it's going to be so, so wonderful. But they're all false. Raising false expectations, raising false hopes, bringing false promises and it's all nonsense and the reality is just dreadful false teachers are the same they promise all kinds of blessings from God when God has given no such promise they promise all kinds of hope when God has given no grounds for the kind of hope that they're talking about they say You can expect that God will do this or that or the other. And the people are left waiting. And waiting. And waiting. And waiting. And waiting. At this point in Israel's history, Ezekiel in Babylon... Jeremiah back in Jerusalem are speaking of God's judgment and God's impending destruction of Israel because of all of their sin, all of their apostasy, all of their idolatry. And at the same time, the false prophets are talking about peace and prosperity. They couldn't be more wrong. They're making it all up as they go along. Hoping for the best. Fourth thing. Spiritual cowboy builders. Spiritual cowboy builders. Verses 10 to 14. 
the image there is of a wall that's been built and it looks good and it looks strong but it's been thrown together with shoddy materials it has no strength it has no structural integrity but it's been plastered so that all of its weakness is hidden and it looks great there's a bit of similarity here with the story that Jesus told the parable of the man who built his house on the sand and then a storm comes along and the wall just disintegrates in no time because there's just no substance to it there's just nothing there no strength no integrity no foundation to anything that's been said spiritual cowboy builders building a fantasy world And then fifthly, the other aspect that's brought to our attention from verse 18, where he starts to talk about the women who are likewise uh, false prophets amongst the people. We see here things that are false and that are alluring. And it's a form of controlling spiritism. It's a form of spirituality, but it's not godly spirituality. And it's certainly not the work of the Holy Spirit. There is false spirituality here, mystical alluring and controlling the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves they make veils for the heads of the people the things that they do has sensual appeal it appeals first and foremost to the senses but the things of God always appeal to the mind it's primarily about how it makes you feel not about what it makes you think. The veil on the head is likened to a net in disguise that's used to trap birds. They want to entice you, but it's a trap and it's a snare. They want to control you, because actually they get a kick out of controlling people. And they have no qualms about exploiting people for their own gain and for their own reputation. Now, as I said, you don't have to have all of these traits if you're a false teacher. But most, tra- most false teachers will have some of them. Now, this morning we were thinking about the supreme authority of the Bible and the reliability of the Bible and the infallibility of the Bible. It will never lead you into error. That it is completely trustworthy And that the only thing that you need, because it contains no error. And you see how important it is, therefore, that everything, first of all, must come from the Bible. And secondly, must be taken back to the Bible. Is this so? Are these things in accordance with God's word? Are these things in agreement with the things that God has said the things that we know for certain God has said Jesus could constantly refer to the scriptures and say it is written I'm absolutely certain that this is how it needs to be and so we can and must do the same all the time even when you're listening to the likes of me or anyone else who's in this pulpit take it back to the scriptures are these things so is this as God 
has revealed it and made it known. And look at the second half of verse 9. I find this very encouraging. You could easily overlook it. Second half of verse 9. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. You see, God preserves and protects the purity and the truthfulness of his word. All of these false teachers, they remain anonymous. You won't find their names here. God is not going to give them the privilege or honour of being named in scripture. And all the specific things that they taught are not recorded here. They play, God makes sure that those things are not written down. Because they were false, they were not true. And so we see God actively is, if you, are, if you like, monitoring and controlling what goes into his scripture. That's why we can and must rely on it completely and totally. It is reliable because it is, as we saw this morning, God's word. And he has full control over everything that's gone into it. And if there's anything that he knows ought not to be there, it is not here. All of these things are so similar to what Peter teaches in his second letter. When you get to the New Testament, nothing's changed. And all this falsehood, it's the work, it's the work of Satan. He operates in the same way all through the ages, alluring, deceiving. It's appealing. It's attractive. It's sensual. It's touchy-feely. It plays on the emotions rather than knowing the truth. And it's out to get you. Be careful. Let's just read a few more verses from 2 Peter. It's the second chapter of 2 Peter, uh, verse 17. <clears throat> and Peter's talking about false teachers. And listen to the similarity of some of the things that Peter says to what Ezekiel said about the same type of people. These are wells without water. Ah, a well. Great. You put your bucket down. There's nothing there. Nothing. Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words, ah, you say, that's what we need. Great swelling words of emptiness. Great swelling words do not make someone a preacher. Now, a preacher can use great swelling words, but great swelling words don't make a preacher. Necessarily. They can be great and they can be swelling and they can be completely empty. Utter nonsense. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who've escaped from those who live in error. They promise them liberty. 
they themselves are slaves of corruption and so forth. It's exactly the same. But there's good news in all of this. Two things. Second point and a brief one. The certain judgment of these people. The certain judgment of them. God will not permit them to go on forever and he will bring them to the judgment that they deserve. We see that in verse 9. My hand will be against these people. We see it from the end of verse 14 in Ezekiel chapter 13. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God because I'm going to bring this wall down and reveal it for what it truly is. From verse 20, I'm against your magic charms. Verse 21, I will tear off your veils. Verse 22, with lies you've made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I've not made sad. Verse 23, therefore you will no longer envision and you'll know that I am the Lord your God. Very certain judgment will come upon these people. The Lord in his way, in his time, will deal with them. In the meantime, you you and I are to be on the lookout and avoid them. And God will deal with them. And God will bring their false ministry to a close. And they will be revealed for what they truly are. The wall will come down and people will see that it was just cowboy built. And that brings assurance for the true believer. They shall not be in the assembly of my people. The Lord will deal with them. He'll protect and preserve his own. Verse 23, you'll no longer practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand. And so we know those who truly are the Lord's people, they have the Lord's help. They have the Lord's strength. They have the Lord's grace. They have the Lord's assurance that they will be kept and preserved. And so we don't need to lose heart. In 2 Peter and chapter 2 at verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. The Lord knows how to keep you and sustain you in the midst of these things, and he will. And how can we protect ourselves from such as these know your bible and use it exercise discernment don't be afraid to stand up to falsehood when you see it and pray for church elders who in a sense are the church's first line of defense i don't often use a picture when i'm preaching but i'm going to this evening just as we close if you drive over to the east coast of yorkshire kind of head out towards whitby As you go over the Yorkshire Moors, you'll see this. Recognise that, anyone? You know what that is? Filingdales. RAF Filingdales. This this is the product of the Cold War. This is an early warning radar station. They're watching out for nasty stuff coming across from Eastern Europe uh, in the air. What do they want to do? They want to see it early. They want to spot it before it can get to us. They want to eliminate it before it can do any damage and cause any harm. You need to pray for the elders of churches because elders in churches need to have a finely tuned early warning system. 
they spot error way over there and it's dealt with and it's not allowed in. It's kept at bay. It's kept out. We need wisdom. We need grace. We need discernment. We need to know God's word. Now, it's not only down to the elders. We can all have a part to play in this. But elders in churches are, if you like, the first line of defence. You need to pray for us. There are many dangers out there that threaten this church and threaten your Christian life. We are charged with watching over your souls, seeing you safely into glory. Pray for us. Pray for one another. And where do we go for the truth? Where do we go for the truth? Well, many of you are holding it in your hand. Jesus, when he prays to his father in John 17, says, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You avoid the false by immersing yourself in the true. Keep going to the truth. Jesus is described in John's gospel as the one who is full of grace and truth. And he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Keep yourself close to Christ. Keep yourself in his word. Keep yourself in Christ. Because there you will only ever find truth. Well, may we know the Lord's help and grace. Uh, might we continue to be the people of God's truth.